Joining me now here on the Ari Merrow NFL Show, he's the founder of Sharp Football Analysis and Sharp Football Stats. He's a part of NBC Sports and The Ringer. And his 2022 football preview book, which has over 560 pages, is now out and available. It is Warren Sharp. Warren, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a great time to be a fan of the NFL. We got training camps opening up. And, you know, like you said, I'm done with the book. It's out there live now in the wild for people to check out. And so I can spend my time with people like you and, and do enjoyable interviews and talk a little bit about the upcoming season rather than, you know, spending a, a night until three, 4 a.m. researching what I think is going to happen this year. So it's a good time to be me as well. <laughs> yeah. Training camps all open around the NFL. I got to start with the book because again, people watching on YouTube, I'm holding the book right now. I feel like I'm back studying for the SATs considering how big this thing is. But the only difference is that I actually enjoy reading this thing. I look forward to each and every single page. I want to ask you just how long does it take to put this whole thing together? You mentioned you're up until three, four in the morning every single night. It's so detailed. It's jam-packed with info. I just can't imagine the work that goes into all of this. How long does it take you to put all of this together, which you've been doing every single year for the last several years? Yeah, I, I take a little time in February just to relax and decompress. And then obviously we know the free agency is going to start in March. And so I start digging into the teams uh, prior to that. Obviously, we've seen the coaching carousel be completed uh, by the Super Bowl, late Super, uh, just after the Super Bowl. And so we're able to really figure out now who these teams are going to be coached by. And we get a good understanding as to like who they might lose in free agency. And then we walk through who they gained in free agency, who they gained in the NFL draft. And we start getting a better handle on their strength of schedule for this upcoming season. All these things come together. And there's about a three-month span where I'm just heads down writing this thing. And I'd say pretty much um, from once the draft completes at the beginning of May, all the way through until the end of June, it's like go time for me. It's, it's those nights, like you said, uh, three, 4 AM, which I'm accustomed to during the season. Uh, but like right now, now that the book's done and until the season starts, I'm, I'm not up that late each night any longer. Um, and it's, it's a grueling process. I'll tell you, like we spent, uh, my company uh, spent significantly more money buying additional data between last year and this year so that we could have more information to digest. And we had a ton before we were writing, you know, 450 page book last year, but this year with all the new data at my fingertips, it ended up, you know, just going towards the point that this thing was 564 pages. I didn't want to stop writing and set an arbitrary certain number of pages for every single team. So there are some that are chapters that are a little shorter, some chapters that are a little bit longer, but um, it's, this was the first time that I could, I could easily say that I was so ready for this thing to be done. And once I got to the end of this and that I wasn't sure if I could get another 560 next year, because it just put so much stress and pressure uh, on me, on the editors to try to get this thing uh, completed in time for, you know, July timeframe. Let me just ask you, with this offseason in particular, where we had so many moves, like probably the most, especially when it comes to big names, how much does that affect you with what you do? Because we've never seen this much player movement the way we just had it a couple months ago. Yeah, we did. And the one thing that I think was interesting was that 
the only real team that saw a, a, a new coaching system for the quarterback and a brand new quarterback, like the two of those things coming into town were, was out in Denver. <laughs> for a lot of these other teams, though, you're right. There were like new quarterbacks changing places and that's a big deal. Or there were new coaching staffs getting hired. And so that's obviously a big deal. Um, for me, though, it's exciting and fun because I approach a lot of this from a kind of like, what can I learn about this team? I try to approach everything with a completely blank slate. Um, I, I try to forget what I was thinking about during the course of the season and then start my research from a new every single team chapter that I'm writing. And the way that I started is 31 of these teams did not meet their goal last year. So why did 30, why did this particular team, one of 31, not hit their goal? What went wrong last year? And then do I think that they could have gotten there if they did a few things differently? What do I think of what they've done this offseason with coaching and players? And then what do I think that these coaches and these players will do this year? And is it enough for them to hit that goal of winning a Super Bowl. Um, and in certain cases, there are teams that I think will improve, but not make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, but it, it does make it more challenging. But uh, when I always view this as a, as a marketplace, um, because I'm doing everything, whether it's fantasy football or sports betting, it's all a marketplace. And you're trying to uncover information that other people haven't researched yet or uncovered yet. You're trying to come up with thoughts that not as many other people are aware of uh, so that you can be first to the market. You can be first with these types of ideas. And so uh, for me, when there's a lot of questions, that's opportunity to get ahead of the, get of the ball in terms of researching these things and coming up with some ideas that I think are going to happen and not always be right about everything, of course. Uh, you're going to be wrong, certainly, about certain teams or certain projections. Uh, but for the most part, like doing this research has really helped me uh, be smarter about what I think is going to happen during the preseason and my bets uh, for the full season, as well as in the first month of the year. Uh, we've been able to do really well because we're, I think, a little bit ahead of the game. So let me jump into this thing because there's a few teams that are really intriguing to me. And I guess let me start in Arizona because they just had the most recent, you know, big time news of the Kyle Murray um, extension, a very unique one to say the least. You're forecasting nine wins for this team this season. Um, let me ask you, what were your thoughts, first of all, on them doing that mega quarterback extension with Kyler? And then just overall with this team that started 7-0 last year, got to 10-2, then just fell off a cliff, went 11-6 and and lost their first playoff game to the Rams. DeAndre Hopkins suspended for the first six games. What are your thoughts about this team in particular? Well, on the Kyler Murray contract, I think they were probably a little bit felt that they were compelled to do that. And uh, if that was the fair and going rate for a quarterback, um, he obviously is, is very talented. And obviously when he's healthy, he can put up tremendous numbers. Um, so I don't I don't hate it from that respect. I love it from the fact that I'm down on the Cardinals this year. Um, I, I bet they're under nine and a half win total. I think that this team may struggle. And I think you know, we talked about what did I uncover that not as many people are aware of the Arizona Cardinals last year on third and long set the NFL record for conversion rate, seven to 10 yards to go when they were trying to pass the football, 
they had, I want to say it's like a 52 or 56% conversion rate, best of any team in NFL history. That obviously keeps drives going. That's not going to happen this upcoming season. There's no chance this team, they were bottom 10 in third down conversion rate at seven to 10 yards to go in 2020. There's no chance that 2021 repeats itself. This team is going to be in more difficult situations where they're going to be forced to punt the ball. I don't think they're going to be as successful in short yardage situations as they were last season. So even if they get into third and manageable third and short, I just think that they're going to struggle a little bit more. And then you talk about their schedule and you talk about the additional players. Well, yes, they added Marquise Brown, but we know that they're going to be without DeAndre Hopkins for the first six weeks of the season. And we know that the first six to seven weeks of the season, this is when this team has to be cooking. Like This team has to be great at the beginning of the season because Cliff Kingsbury tends to fall off everywhere he's been, whether it's in coaching in college or coaching in the pros. This team does worse later on in the season. Everybody figures out what, what he's doing and they make adjustments and he doesn't make as many adjustments himself. Secondarily, Kyler Murray every single year seems to get dinged up in some way, shape or form. He gets a hamstring or he's nursing an ankle. And a lot of times he plays through it. So he's not missing a ton of games, but his performance falls off completely because he's one of these guys, he's shorter and more diminutive in size. And he has to have his legs and mobility to evade defenders and pass rushers as well as get out of the pocket quickly. And if so, if he's dealing with any type of lower body injury, even if it doesn't sideline him, that takes away a significant part of what makes Kyler Murray special. And as, as such, I think this team is going to struggle potentially early on in the season. I know they added Marquise Brown, but they also lost Christian Kirk. So they're without Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. They add Marquise Brown in. And then when they get Hopkins back, this team is dealing with the, I want to say it's the number one most difficult schedule in the NFL from week 10 onward. No team plays a more difficult schedule. We're talking about the Rams, the, the Chargers, the 49ers twice, the Patriots, the Denver Broncos, the Tampa Bay Bucks, which are now better than ever. The only team that is not projected to have a winning record amongst that group is the Atlanta Falcons week 17. Otherwise it's a murderer's road down the stretch when this team is bad anyway. So how many wins are they going to have to accumulate in the first eight, nine weeks of the season without the Andre Hopkins uh, to get them to double digit wins this year? I just, they're one of the teams that I am most down on compared to the market currently. It's interesting to mention that end of season schedule because you mentioned Cliff Kingsbury's and his struggles late in the season. Going back to 2013, when he was still at Texas, Texas Tech, his first seven games of the year, he's 42 and 20. The rest of the year, he's 17 and 45. So the, the numbers are definitely there. It's been a struggle every single season, whether it was in college or in the NFL. Of course, we saw it last year as well starting 7-0 and and then falling to 4-7. and I want to talk about the Patriots as well because this is a team that I think surprised people last year, especially with a rookie quarterback, the last um, first-round rookie quarterback dropping to them. And then Bill Belichick comes out the other day and says, um, basically gives a lot of praise to Mac Jones, saying he's seen dramatic improvement out of him here this offseason, a very rare positive quote there from Bill Belichick. What are we expecting out of Mac Jones and the Patriots as a whole as they enter year number two of this quarterback? Well, I think that Mac Jones performed better than a lot of people think last season. Um, I know his performance trailed off late in the year, 
But I do have a number of concerns with the Patriots and, and Mac Jones. And it's more so not that I don't think he's going to develop because year two is typically that year that we see this big jump in quarterback performance. Um, but a lot of what the Patriots did last season when they were doing well offensively and they were scoring points, it was because they were keeping Mac Jones upright. When they did not allow a sack, no team scored points at a higher rate in the NFL on a drive than did the New England Patriots. But when they allowed a sack at any point during that drive, their scoring rate fell off tremendously. So obviously quarterback controls a fair amount of taking pressure and taking sacks, but that offensive line is a big contributing factor as well. And this team just lost two starting offensive guards, one left in free agency and, and one was traded away. And the reason that they lost these players in my opinion, because these players out of 88 guards graded out by pro football focus, both these guys were top 10. I want to say one was number four uh, um, and one was number seven. Both these guys had very good seasons last year. But here's the thing, Ari. This team went on a unprecedented spending spree entering the 2021 free agency period. They saw that, you know, Tom Brady had just won a Super Bowl and Bill Belichick is like, no, this is not going to happen again. We are doing something we've never done before. We've got a rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. Now we're going to spend like crazy, right? So this team goes out and they sign a ton of players in free agency. And all of these players, I'm pulling up the list of like some of these guys, the way that they structured their contracts, they had small and manageable cap hits in year one, which was last year. And these cap hits have ballooned tremendously this year. So like Hunter Henry, Johnu Smith, Matt Judon, Nelson Aguilar, and Kendrick Bourne, whatever they're making between $6 million cap hit to $3 million cap hit last year, in every single case, it's over double this season what their cap hit is compared to what it was last year. So the same exact players now are costing over twice as much against the cap. They have to cut something in some place. And it was some of these other key players. They also lost you know, I, I think their cornerback who set the record for most interceptions in the first four years, or at least in the last 20 years, nobody has had, yeah, JC Jackson, more interceptions in his first four seasons than did he. So he's now with the Chargers. This team has lost some pieces, but specifically along that offensive line, losing those two starting guards. Yes, they've got a plan to, to fill that in. I, we also have the big you know, elephant in the room question, which is they don't actually have an offensive coordinator. Bill Belichick apparently is like this. I read a practice today, training camp today, like he was acting as sort of like a co-offensive coordinator. You got Matt Patricia on the walkie talkie signaling plays in, but you got nobody who is specifically named as offense coordinator. I don't have a lot of confidence in Matt Patricia. And the other thing that I analyzed while I'm writing this chapter was there were so many different um, elements to this offense that, you know, Mac Jones was better when he was throwing the ball out of 11 personnel, not so good out of 12 personnel, or, you know, they were better with play action versus without play action or in shotgun versus under center. There's a lot that this team needs to be up on and studying well during the season. And the coaching staff needs to make those great adjustments with this quarterback and these new receivers. And I just don't have enough confidence right now that they're going to be able to do that. The floor is high in my opinion, because I think Mac is better than some people think. And I think Bill Belichick is a, is a, is a very good coach. And um, so this team is going to do pretty well. Um, but I am not running to the window to back the new England Patriots in 2022, this team out, they, they exceeded expectations defensively last year. 
uh, based upon like third down conversion rate, for example. Third down conversion rate is very closely tied to the yards to go on third down. If you have a longer distance that you're making that offense to go, uh, your defense is going to do better on third down and force more punts. Well, right. the New England Patriots really overachieved. They had a league average uh, yards to go that they allowed their opponents, but they were top five in third down uh, stop rate for their defense. So I think that's going to regress a little bit. I think these offenses are going to have a little bit more success against their defense this year. And I do have concerns about their protection for Mac Jones. Yeah, it's definitely one of the teams, especially right now as training camp opens and the preseason comes in, where a lot of people are just keeping an eye on just to see how they all gel, especially without Josh McDaniels there as well. Now, you mentioned there is no official offensive coordinator there. Who's calling the plays has been a big topic for months now, and Bill Belichick continues not to really give much of an answer when speaking to the media. So once there are preseason games, I think it's one of the things that people will be keeping an eye on. I know that they always had Tom Brady playing in the preseason. I think it's safe to say that Mac Jones will likely be playing in the preseason as well, and we'll see how he does there. Um Shifting to a different quarterback, I want to talk about Lamar Jackson as well, because I don't get it, but there's been so much hate coming out as of late. He's a former unanimous MVP. He's been efficient as a runner and a passer. The Ravens were destroyed by injuries last season, and they were still very much in it until he got hurt. Why do you think there are so much hate coming out here, especially right now during these contract negotiations, which he is in? It's it's insane to me, A, but B, I think the reason um, is, is likely hinged on people latching on to the fact that he hasn't performed well enough in their opinion in the postseason, And so he's a terrible quarterback because he can't get it done when it truly matters in the postseason. And I think that is the only like football related reason why I think people are throwing stones at Lamar Jackson. I personally think that the job that he has done in Baltimore has been almost unprecedented. There aren't many other quarterbacks who could have done with this team, what he has done. And I'll try to start from like the very beginning in 2018, entering that season, John Harbaugh was on the verge of being fired. His yes. owner later came out and said that this team was 40 wins and 40 losses in their prior 80 games. They start out that season in 2018 with Joe Flacco as their quarterback. They lose five of their first nine games. So they have, they're below 500. They go into their bye week and they decide that they're going to go ahead and start Lamar Jackson. All he does is go six and one through the rest of the season. He didn't even get reps in the camp because it was Joe Flacco's job. It, Joe Lamar was quarterback number 32. They were using him on a couple gadget plays in the first nine weeks of the season, but he was not viewed as the guy who was going to step in and take over this team right away. So they were trying to save Harbaugh's job and play Joe Flacco all preseason long. So without camp, boom, he goes in, wins, and goes to the postseason. The next season is the 2019 season, and he does nothing but break records. He has the best season ever for any quarterback 22 years old or younger. Uh, he wins the unanimous MVP award. He sets passing milestones as well as rushing milestones and performs extremely well. 2020 comes along and he's still setting marks in terms of being the, the, the fastest quarterback to X milestone or the best quarterback in Y metric. But he didn't, the, the team obviously didn't do as well. They won their first playoff game under him last uh, in 2020, but they lost their very next playoff game after that in a very cold day to the Buffalo Bills, who were a great team, made it to the AFC championship uh, in the 2020 season. And you have last year, 
Lamar once again comes out and this team is a run first team. Ari, they, for the two years leading into the 2021 season, were the second most run heavy team in the NFL. And this team lost every single key running back before the season starts. They are signing guys off of the street, literally days before the game. Latavius Murray, what's this guy been doing for years? This guy's back starting for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they go and get Le'Veon Bell during the season. They have no running back. So you know what this team does? They say, we can't run the ball. We're one of the most run heavy teams. We can't do it. We're just going to throw the ball. Lamar, you're going to be throwing the ball. Now they're the seventh most pass heavy offense in the NFL. And you know what ends up happening? Lamar has them as the number one seed in December, despite completely changing their philosophy offensively. And despite having no real great core of wide receivers at all, this team is pass first and Lamar has them as the number one seed. Then of course, he hurts his ankle. And as you alluded to at the very beginning, they didn't win a single other game the rest of the way. They fell out of the number one seed. They fell out of the playoffs entirely. And here we are talking about, you know, all Lamar Jackson. He can't get it done in the postseason. Every single year he's been healthy, he's taken his team to the postseason. He set records and marks that no other court, he's the second only quarterback to win unanimous MVP. He's the I want to say the second youngest or the first or, or, or tied for the youngest quarterback to win the MVP award. Like, I don't know. I, I don't get it, Ari. And the other thing too, if we, I like looking at a lot of context when I'm trying to study players and teams and dig down deep, the Baltimore Ravens, every single year that Lamar has been there have had a bottom 10 paid wide receiving core and a bottom 10 paid offensive line. When we look at the salary cap allocation that this team is giving to each of their uh, positional units compared to the rest of the league in the four years since Lamar Jackson has been there, it's been bottom 10 every single year for both of those key positions, O-line and at wide receiver. So who has he been throwing the ball to? Who has he been getting this done with? Who has been protecting for him? Um, it's really been phenomenal when you actually think about the turnaround that he personally has made for the city of Baltimore, for the Baltimore Ravens, saved a ton of jobs there. And his performance has led this team to the postseason every single year. And they were on the verge of being the number one seed if he doesn't go down with injury last season. Yeah, I think you laid it out kind of perfectly. You gave everything that was really necessary for people to know what Lamar has done over these last several years. I will say this, the reason why some people believe all of this is coming out and it's really getting into the weeds is because Lamar doesn't have an agent, which essentially means that people in front offices and personnel people, there's no one that they really have to protect that relationship with, in other words, mm. which is why all this stuff is coming out and they feel more freely to talk about whatever they really feel about him, right? It, it, it's a stupid thing to say. I mean, the, the talent is undeniable. We've seen all of it. You just laid it out all perfectly. But because there's nobody out there who's kind of talking to the front offices or talking to other agents or being the guy who's talking to other coaches it's more like the only people who are sticking up for him are like his own teammates which is like a marquis brown and those type of people but whenever it's front office people and people don't really have much of a connection to lamar they just feel freely to talk about him this really dates all the way back to when he came out of college and remember there was all talk about moving to a different position there was nobody there to push back on it and even like like he fell to 32. Someone had to trade up to get him in order for him not to even slip out of the first round. So there is a belief that might be the reason for all of this. But again, you laid it out perfectly. What he's done so far in Baltimore up until now is um, you can't deny what he has done there. And we'll see if he's able to land a mega contract extension here in the coming days 
and weeks before the season starts. A couple more here before I, I wrap this up. There were 10 head coaches hired this offseason, which is a, a ridiculous amount. Um, Matt Eberflus in Chicago, I'll quickly run through all of them. Matt Eberflus in Chicago, Denver has Nathaniel Hackett, the Bucks and Todd Bowles, Dolphins and Mike McDaniel, the Giants with Brian Dayball, the Jaguars and Doug Peterson, Raiders, Josh McDaniel, Saints, Dennis Allen, Texans, Lovey Smith, and the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell. The one who will enjoy the most immediate success this season is who? From a win perspective only, that's it. I, I would probably go with, uh, I'm flipping coins between Kevin O'Connell, because I think the NFC is soft, and I think he's going to make a big change over that former regime, and Mike McDaniel down in Miami, uh, because I'm bigger on Tua than a lot of other people are, and I think that this team around Tua has just gotten so much better. He's on his his rookie deal. They had the flexibility to do that. And I think their front office did a pretty good job of bringing in support staff. The, the, the slightly different answer, but the coaching staff that I think is going to have the biggest upgrade over the prior regime is going to be Jacksonville with Doug Peterson replacing Urban Meyer. But I think that those other guys will potentially win more games this year than do the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about the Jaguars a lot here on the show. I mean, it's just night and day compared to what they had last year with Urban Meyer and all the tox the toxic environment that was all there. I want to ask you about one of those teams in particular, and that is the Giants, because you have them with the easiest strength of schedule this season after having the second most difficult one last year. And obviously it's a pivotal year for Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, Barkley both of them entering the final year of their contracts. This is a team that has not been over 500 at any point over the last five years. What are you anticipating out of them with this new regime? Well, first of all, direction. First of all, intelligent scheming and play calling, understanding what really is valuable. Um, I break it down in a lot of detail in the book, but the New York Giants, their prior regime led by Joe Judge and Jason Garrett as the offensive coordinator, it was as if their philosophy on offense was to get into third and manageable. Let's just figure it out on third down. Let's just get into third and manageable and try to convert another series of downs. Brian Dayball has got the completely opposite opinion. Brian Dayball doesn't care about third downs. Brian Dayball is going to try to avoid third downs entirely. This offense is going to try to convert first downs on first and second down at a far higher rate than what the New York Giants were trying to do last season. Now, they may not have a ton of success doing it because this team isn't that great. Like the, the personnel on this roster aren't great. They're completely hamstrung by what Dave Gettleman has done for the last several years to this team. So there's a lot of things that I think this coaching staff is going to, especially the front office, it's going to have to undo over the next couple of years. But I believe if the fan base in New York city, easier said than done is patient with them that they actually have, the right objectives and the right plan of attack here. I think Brian Dayball is going to make life a lot easier on Daniel Jones. Um, a lot of coaches, Jason Garrett included, thought that the way to win games uh, with a quarterback that you don't have a lot of confidence in is to try not to get him to do as much. So you're going to try to run the ball at higher rates on early downs, and you're going to hope that you can get in third and manageable and the quarterback can do whatever he want there. But the key is that when you have a younger quarterback or a quarterback who's not as experienced or as talented, 
you need to lean even more into passing the ball on early down, specifically first down. And why is that? Well, that's the down that defense is going to be playing the run more than any other down out there. So you're going to get the best looks and the best situations and the less likelihood of blitzes on first down if you try to let your quarterback throw the ball a little bit more. And of course, we know what uh, was going on up in Buffalo with Brian Dayball and how he was calling plays offensively there and their pass rate that they had. Um, We also know that there was a point in time because it bubbled up in the media twice after games that there was some friction between Sean McDermott and Brian Dable about their run rate and about the fact that Sean McDermott wanted the team to run more and Brian Dable wanted the team to throw the football a little bit more. And if that much was bubbling out publicly by their head coach after games about the play calling in the offensive coordinator, you know, you can only imagine what was going on behind the scenes there. Dable doesn't have to worry about that right now. And I think the way that they're going to utilize Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley and some of their other weapons this season is going to be night and day different than what they've done in the past. You're absolutely right. These guys have a ton to prove uh, and they have no deals next season. And in some cases for a coaching staff that has no ties to them at all, that actually is like a a freedom that they have. um, If you try to, if, if you try to think of it in that direction, because think about the Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray, you just gave this, got $160 million guaranteed a $230 million contract. If he's limping around with his leg or something like that, or are you going to call as many run plays for him? Like, cause you got to try to save him. We're seeing the same exact thing up in Buffalo now uh, with uh, their quarterback, Josh Allen, you know, their coach uh, Sean McDermott came out and said, we don't want him to run the football quite as much this upcoming season, even though that was such a massive advantage. I think they're worried about mileage on him and getting hits and things of that nature. Well, Brian Dable has none of those concerns with Saquon Barkley or with Daniel Jones. He can, they can run Daniel Jones more than what they've been doing in the past and not worry about it. They've got no ties to this guy in the future. And if he goes down and the team doesn't do well, they'll just get a better draft pick next season. So there's some freedom there for Brian Dable to call whatever he wants. And hopefully they're able to convince Daniel Jones, like kid, you don't need, there's no pressure on you. Like you, you already have not exceeded expectations thus far. Do just go out there and play freely, play with the best Think about this. Mike Shula and Jason Garrett are the only guys that have coached uh, Daniel Jones in the pros. So now you got Brian Dable and you got Mike Kafka, Patrick Mahomes quarterback coach from Kansas City, a great uh, offensive coach. He's now their offensive coordinator. I mean, those two guys are going to make Daniel Jones look a hell of a lot better than Mike Shula and Jason Garrett did. As someone who's from New York, I don't remember the last time we've had this much excitement for the future of the Giants. There just is. You could feel it here in the city with how the fans think of this coaching staff and especially just the personnel staff after the last few years of just move after move that was just didn't make sense. You knew it was bad as soon as it happened and the fans were proved right. And now we have somebody here who's tied together with the coach and it looks like there's some normalcy coming here to New York and they're just excited about that element alone here with the Giants. Last one here before I wrap this one, last two minutes here. Um, Every year we see it, about four or five teams didn't make the playoffs the year before, they make it the next year. Looking at the numbers, looking at the schedules, is there a team or two for this season that jumps to you that can make that jump? I think the Minnesota Vikings, I alluded to Kevin O'Connell before. Um, I think the Minnesota Vikings have a great opportunity. Mike Zimmer, defensive oriented coach held this offense back. And apparently 
really didn't like Kirk Cousins either. And so that's not going to give a lot of exude a lot of confidence to your starting quarterback. And now this team is going to be leaning more into the pass. Um, I think there could be a jump for a guy like a Irv Smith, Mike Zimmer before camp last year. I mean, we know that Irv missed the season, but Mike Zimmer didn't even want to incorporate this guy into the offense. And Irv Smith was one of the very first people that Kevin O'Connell mentioned as a guy that he liked and thinks he's going to be able to have a great role for this offense. Um, I think when you put Kirk Cousins into more early down situations, I just tweeted out a metric earlier that uh, Kirk Cousins in the second half when trailing is was last year either the third or the fourth most efficient quarterback in the NFL passing the football EPA per pass attempt. Uh, but this team didn't want to pass the ball early in games. They wanted to try to run the ball. They wanted to try to win late, win late on third down, win late in the game. And uh, I think they're going to hopefully have a much more aggressive philosophy offensively, not just with passing the ball, but in general about trying to go out there, commanding the leads, try to take those leads and play from ahead um, and make the defense not know what's coming in the second half, as opposed to every single play is going to have to be Kirk dropping back because we're down by 11 points. So I think this team is in a much better place than they were. Um, and I think they're definitely one of the teams that I'm looking in a weaker NFC in an NFC where there's some question marks now with the very best team in that division, which is Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers losing Devontae Adams, trying to replace his production there. Um, I think this is an opportunity for the, what I view as the second best team in that division to take a big step up and to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, when you're just looking at the NFC versus the AFC, I mean, just the conference and the weakness of the NFC to the stackedness of the, I don't know if stackedness is even a word, but how stacked the AFC is, it's insane, especially the quarterback play on the AFC side. So definitely makes a lot of sense. With training camps open all over the NFL, I think we'll soon start getting at least some answers here as teams are on the field officially now. And football is back. Hey, Warren, I really want to, I really want to thank you for taking the time and um, coming here on the podcast. Anytime I listen to you or read your stuff, I really feel smarter. Again, everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at Sharp Football. Check out the site, sharpfootballanalysis.com. And of course, go get yourself a 2022 preview book. I highly recommend it. Worth every penny. Over 550 pages of stats, analysis, and graphics breaking down what you learned from the 2021 season and what we might see in in the 2022 season. Warren, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ari.